The Lord is going to come back and he's going to separate the saved from the lost. Those who profess the Lord and say they are Christians and those who really possess the Lord and are Christians. Jesus is coming again. And unlike his first coming, which was as that of a suffering servant, Christ's second coming will be as a conquering king. And that's what we've been looking at in our study of the Revelation. Today on Search the Scriptures, Dr. Carl Brogy will continue his exposition of chapter 14 in a message entitled, The Wrath of God on Earth. God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that's why he's given ample opportunity for all to make a decision to put their trust in his Son as Lord of their lives. He's held off his triumphant second coming, but one day, perhaps soon, Jesus will return and he'll set into motion a series of events unlike anything anyone has ever seen. In this chapter, we have looked at the army of believing Jews that will accompany him at his return. And we've been introduced to a number of angels, each delivering a particular message. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy today, we'll see another angel who calls for a harvest of souls that separates the wheat from the tares. You can see the title of the message on your outline if you're taking notes is the wrath of God on earth. And these verses today begin to reveal that the second coming of the Lord Jesus is totally different from his first coming. And if you're taking notes, I want to highlight three essential truths about the coming wrath of God. The first truth that John reveals and writes by the Spirit of God concerning God's wrath is that God's wrath is coming. It is coming. Now, he's going to give us a preview of that wrath. He's going to give us the big picture of this coming terrible wrath on earth, and then he's going to detail it in the next two chapters. Now, in the remaining verses here of chapter 14, he previews for us what's going to happen during the remainder of the tribulation period. And he refers to Christ's coming with two different harvests. He uses two different pictures. The first, found in verses in 14 to 16, is a harvest of grain. The second reaping is a harvest of grapes, found in verses 17 through 20. We're going to see this morning that the harvest of grain is an overview of the coming bowls of wrath. We'll be introduced to them in chapter 15, the shortest chapter in all of the Revelation. I'll just preach one sermon on that. And then many sermons when we come to chapter 16 is that wrath is unleashed. Then we will come in the second half of this paragraph to the harvest of grapes, which is an overview of the battle of Armageddon. And once again, he just previews it. But when we come to the 16th chapter and following, he's going to detail it to us. So both harvests, though, involve a sickle. They both involve a reaping. And both accounts will be later described in chapters 15 through 19. So, God's wrath is coming, and I want you to note first that God's wrath is coming from Jesus. Notice verse 14, then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, one of the most recognizable figures of all time, I suppose, is one we call the Grim Reaper. Here's a picture of him. He's typically characterized as some kind of deathly figure wearing a robe. 
His face is usually entirely hidden. You always see in his hand a, a sickle or a scythe. Now, one poet describing him said, you can be a king or street sweeper, but everyone dances with the grim reaper. Now, most of the pictures I found were pretty gruesome and I thought almost frightening to children, but this one was a little more tame. I'm not sure what that little bunny rabbit is doing down there in the right corner, but in either case, the grim reaper is not just some cartoon character. He represents a biblical personality. He is truly revealed in Scripture. He is not hidden with some robe over his face. He is the one whom every eye will see and every tongue will confess to. Look at verse 14. His identity is absolutely unmistakable. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown and on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, we're told he comes not simply on a cloud. Notice it's articular. You might want to circle the article. He comes on the cloud. Now, the word cloud is an interesting study in and of itself. Sometimes it refers to literal clouds that God has created, but very often it's a reference to the Shekinah glory of God. It's a picture of the presence of God. And so there was a cloud-like structure during the day called the Shekinah as the children of Israel were led during the time of the wilderness. You can read of it in Exodus 13. The same cloud appeared to Moses when God gave him the law there on top of Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb in Exodus chapter 19. The cloud covered the Lord God when he came to meet Moses and the 70 elders that were chosen there in Numbers chapter 11. If you remember, the cloud, the Shekinah, filled the temple of God on the day of its dedication. And so in 1 Kings 8, we're told, it happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. It was the same cloud that received the Lord Jesus up into heaven at his ascension as recorded in Acts 1. And it's the Shekinah glory that knocked over Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus when he is converted uh, it's the same cloud that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 24. And sometimes as you read of the cloud of God, sometimes it's described singularly or with a plural noun. Let me read Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30. Jesus said, And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man. Notice the change to capital letters, which not always, but most often, refers to an Old Testament quotation in the NAS. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. In other words, he is going to return one day to the earth, and men are going to see his divine radiance and brilliance then I looked, John said, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, this is exactly what we see happening here in Revelation 14, 14, that Jesus spoke of on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24 in verse 30. Here comes the judge, and he is coming with a sharp sickle, and he is coming to judge the world. Why? Because the Bible says all judgment 
has been given to the Son. Because we have planted and sown the seeds of rebellion, He is going to harvest the souls of lost people. Because some have planted only the seeds of sin, because some have planted and sown only unbelief and hatred, Christ is going to come to harvest an unbelieving world. The Bible says, do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And this world is headed for one who is coming with a crown on his head. And the word for crown is the Greek word Stephanus. That is the conqueror's crown, the victor's crown. Jesus is not coming in defeat. He is coming in great victory. He is termed in the revelation, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the identical title that is given of God the Father. Why are they both given the same title? Because to see the Son is to see the Father. And in John chapter 5, we read this in verse 22. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that they will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. You cannot say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. If you do not believe in Jesus, then you do not honor the Son. He is coming. He is coming to execute wrath with the victor's crown on his head, and he will come with a sickle in his hand because he is a harvester. That's how he's pictured here. And I want to say today that you're going to meet Jesus, everyone within the sound of my voice. You will either meet him as your Savior or you will meet him as your judge, but indeed you will meet him. And notice here in verse 14, John says, he comes as a son of man. That's important because there are six angels through this chapter. And he's distinguishing this one who is coming from the angels that are mentioned. And he is affirming a truth that the Bible teaches that the Messiah is not only divine, but he is fully human. Now, in some of your Bibles, a son of man is capitalized. In other Bibles, it's lowercase. Now, understand in the manuscripts we have by which we interpret the Bible, all the manuscripts are either in all capitals or they are in all lowercase letters. There's no capital or lowercase letters in any of the manuscripts. They're either all one or all the other. And so the translator has to discern who is in view. Now, if you look in the margin of the NASB, if you have a, how many of you have a Bible with marginal notes? Raise your hand high. Good, most of you. If you don't have one, you should come to meet the pastor. You'll get one. It's very helpful to have some marginal notes because sometimes it gives you the literal rendering, and I'll note that when it's important. It may be a little wooden and it doesn't translate real smoothly, but sometimes it's very helpful, or sometimes it gives you an alternate reading. So you could capitalize it, or you could leave it lowercase simply to underscore that what is in view here is not an angel, but a real human. But if you know the book of Daniel and the four gospels, then you will know the title, a son of man, is one of the titles for the Messiah. Let me read to you Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. I kept looking, Daniel wrote, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and he was presented before him. Now, please understand that the term son of man, 
found only here in the Old Testament, is a messianic title for the coming of the Messiah, in that the description of the Messiah in the Bible is that he would not only be a human, but that he would be God, that he would be the God-man. And this title, Son of Man, describes his humility and his humanity, just like the Son of David distinctly describes his royalty. Messiah is going to be a Son of David. He's going to sit on David's throne, 2 Samuel 7. And then the title Son of God underscores his deity. And of course, if you know Isaiah 9, 6, all three of them are brought together in a single prophecy. Let me refresh your mind with that. Isaiah said, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. That's his humanity. That's his title as son of man. And the government will rest on his shoulders. That speaks of his royalty. And he has not yet fulfilled that, but he will when he comes again. He will literally actually reign on the throne of David, the Bible says, for a thousand years. We'll study that later on in the Revelation. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That underscores his deity. And so in in the mind of a first century Jew, understand it, it's not true for the most part today, but in the mind of a first century Jew, to use either title was to affirm every title. How do I know that? Because it's clear not only from secular writings of the day, but more authoritatively, it is clear from what we read in the Bible. Do you remember on that occasion when Christ had been arrested in Caiaphas, puts him under oath, and he says, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so when he asks, is he the Son of God, the Lord Jesus responds by saying, he is the Son of Man. And he does so in the next verse by quoting Daniel chapter 7. You have said it yourself, nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus claimed that he is the person, the Son of Man, mentioned in Daniel 7 by quoting that text. And because the high priest believed that the Son of Man was the Son of God, was the Son of David, he tore his robes and he said, you've blasphemed. Why? Because he was acknowledging and admitting that Jesus, whom he thought was only a man, was claiming to be the Messiah and therefore God in human flesh. So at the same descriptive words in Revelation chapter 1, we see these two portrayals of the Messiah. For instance, in, in Revelation 1-7 is pictured here. He's quoting Daniel, behold, he is coming with the clouds. And then if you remember, in Revelation 1.13, the apostle John tells us, he saw one like a son of man. Again, you can capitalize it or you can leave it lowercase. It doesn't change a single thing. And he has a crown upon his brow because he is a victorious reigning king. And so the Lord Jesus, when he first comes, he says the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He owned nothing. But when he comes again, as pictured here in Revelation chapter 14, he comes with a crown on his head. He comes as a victorious king because he owns everything and the world will see it. And by the way, once again, in the margin, Son of Man is capitalized and that's important. Now, we're in this parenthetical section. 
And during this parenthetical section between 10 and 14, he is reviewing, as we've already seen, but now he's going to preview some events that he is going to detail for us. And again, when you study this section, it becomes obvious that the first coming of Christ is so different from the second coming. As this next slide reminds us, when he came the first time, he came as a savior. He came to give us life on a cross that our sin might be paid for, that we might have a way of escape and be set free. But when he comes again, he does not come as a savior. He comes as a judge. When Jesus came the first time, he came in humiliation. He came as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. But when he comes again, he comes comes in exaltation on the clouds in glory. He will come as a sovereign king. He came the first time as a sower of grace. When he comes again, he will be reaping in wrath. When he came the first time, he came in poverty to a cross. But when he comes the second time, he will come in majesty on a cloud. There'll be no tree for him to hang on but there'll be a throne for him to sit on. So what I'm wanting you to see here in verse 14 is that when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back in weakness. He's coming back in the Shekinah glory with the divine radiance of God. He is coming. Secondly, God's wrath is coming not only from Jesus, it's coming on time. It's coming on time. And verse 15 underscores that truth. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour has to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Another angel refers back to verse 9, making this angel the fourth of six angels in this chapter. I have them all circled here in my Bible in verse 6, 8, 9. First three angels proclaim the coming judgment, along with the fourth angel who is now coming to be a part of executing that judgment. And the Bible says, notice in this verse, he came out of the temple. We've already studied that the temple, the tabernacle, and the tabernacle is also in some places called the temple. It becomes a more permanent structure when it's not just a portable tent, but a fixed unit, a fixed building. But the terms are used interchangeably in the Bible. And we're told in the Bible that the tabernacle, the temple that God had Moses built, was patterned after the one in heaven, that there's a tabernacle in heaven. And Moses, in essence, had the blueprints when he came off of Mount Sinai, and that's how he designed the tabernacle the way that he did. Some of you were with me on one trip in Israel, and we went way down south in Israel, and we saw that tabernacle perfectly reproduced. It was absolutely amazing. And I want to tell you, every curtain, every ring, every pole, every piece of furniture had a message of prophecy behind it and what God would accomplish through his son. So God had a divine pattern for it. And so this angel comes out of the heavenly temple and he is coming to cleanse the earth. Notice he comes with a loud voice. It's authoritative. And he says, notice, put in your sickle and reap. Here's an angel serving the Lord Jesus. He goes and he does a survey of the earth and he says, it's time. Put in your sickle for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, did the Lord Jesus need an angel to tell him that? Of course not. God sent the angel on a divine mission. 
Angels, again, they are learning. They are studying you today. I hope you're on good behavior. They're watching you. Do you know that? I hope you know that. They're learning from us today in this service. And this angel, no doubt, was told, look, this is what you look for. And when you come back, you tell us. And he comes back with the message. And I'm sure he came back with a deeper respect and knowledge of the justice and the wrath of God Almighty. But God didn't need an angel anymore. Then God needed an answer to to the question he asked Adam, where are you? Because God knows everything. He didn't need the angel any more than he needs me or you to share the gospel. Jesus said, the stones can cry out if he so chooses. So this angel, having learned, comes back. Look at verse 16. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, you may not realize this if you're new to the Bible, but what we're seeing pictured is the parable found in the gospel of the parable of the wheat and the tares. You remember how Jesus told of a farmer who went out and sowed seed in a field, and he expected a bountiful harvest, but his enemy came in and he sowed tares among the wheat. And of course, the, uh, the servants wanted to pull out the tares, but they said, no, you, in pulling out the tares, you might tear out the wheat and the process, just let them grow together. Now, a tear is actually a certain form of wheat called bearded darnel. I was in Israel one time and I showed people, this is bearded darnel. This is what it looks like. And they look very similar as they're growing, but when they come to the end of their growth cycle, the top of that bearded darnel turns black. In fact, the seeds in the bearded darnel were used in the first century, kind of like we use syrup of Icapac. If someone is taking in something that needs to get off their stomach, they would literally swallow it. It was almost like a poison that would make you throw up, whereas the real weed, it would just gold and brown actually would hang over. And so the Lord is going to come back and he's going to separate the saved from the lost, those who profess the Lord and say they are Christians and those who really possess the Lord and are Christians. Jesus tells us that when he interprets the parable for his disciples, notice, listen from Matthew 13, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And for as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear to hear... Let him hear. So the Lord allows both to grow together until the time of the harvest when they some are gathered and placed in the barn and others are gathered and burned at the end of the age in the lake of fire. And again, he's just introducing it to us, but he's going to expound on it far more in the book. Look at verse 15 now. We're told, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. Because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Circle that word, ripe. 
Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now this phrase, the earth was reaped, if you ponder its meaning, it's one of the most tragic statements in all of the Bible. Now again, the details are going to be given to us in Revelation chapter 16. It will begin with terrible sores that will be covering men's bodies. Then the oceans will be filled with blood and all the sea life will die. Then all the rivers and springs likewise will become blood. Then the sun's heat will intensify and scorch the skin of men. And then the world will be plunged into a time of darkness. And then finally, the Euphrates River will be dried up. And demons will lure the kings of this world up a dry riverbed to a place called Harmageddo, where the troops of the world will gather together to come against God's Messiah. But right now, the time is perfect. Why? Because the earth is ripe. And he uses a specific word for ripe that is describing wheat that is overripe, almost at the point of beginning to rot. So when God moves in with judgment, it's not a minute too late. He could have acted sooner, but he didn't. Sometimes people say, Pastor, I wish Jesus would come back. I wish he would too. And they say, well, why doesn't God do something? He is doing something. The world's not falling apart. It's coming together. He is orchestrating the events for the return of his son from heaven. But he hasn't come back yet because the time is not yet right. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not coming back to judge. He will, but he will come at just the right time. The fact that he comes with a sickle reminds us he is just. The fact that he waits until it is virtually overripe shows God's mercy, God's love, God's long-suffering. And so the Apostle John first warns us God's wrath is coming. It will come from Jesus, and it will come on time. Unless anyone be deluded, he goes on now in verses 17 to 19 to underscore that God's wrath is certain. And to accentuate the absolute certainty of this wrath, he first teaches us that God's wrath comes with divine authority. It comes with divine authority. Now we read in verse 17, and another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Now, in verses 14 through 16, we saw the imagery of grain. But now in verses 17 through 19, we see the imagery of grapes. The picture may change. The event is the same. And John is giving us another picture, again, to underscore how absolutely certain that this is going to happen. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. This is angel number five. I've got five written in my Bible over this angel. And again, he comes out of the temple. Among other things, it reminds us he is coming from the throne room of God, and he is coming with absolute authority. And notice, too, that this angel comes with a sharp sickle that underscores the absolute severity of this judgment that is going to come. Next time, Dr. Brogy will conclude this message as he examines the scope of the devastation that accompanies the wrath of God on earth. To listen again to this study in its entirety, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or using your web browser, visit searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 
787-7478 and asking for program REV40. We would be grateful if you would consider supporting the teaching ministry of Search the Scriptures with a one-time or recurring financial gift. You can do so online or using the STS app by clicking the Give button or by calling 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, the conclusion of the wrath of God on earth. Join us then as we search the scriptures.